Welcome to Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. My goal is to encourage you to follow your dreams and give you a playbook on how to get there. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. Branding on a personal level is the art of aligning what you want people to think about you with what people actually think about you. This is a quote from our mentor this week, Eliza Licht, who's a digital and brand marketer, founder and president of Leave Your Mark. She is a powerhouse. Her book, Leave Your Mark, is ranked in the Book Authority's 100 Best Career Development Books of All Time. It's required reading in many universities across the country. It's been translated to multiple languages. And she used that to create her uh, premise of her podcast, of a community of different live mentorship events. Aliza was dubbed one of America's next top mentors by the New York Times and Business Insider's most innovative career coaches. She created this career for herself that started off in the fashion industry and is now affecting people all over, including myself. I read her book when it first came out, and I've taken so much from it. I still remember stories from it, which we brought up on the podcast. And what I really love about this particular episode is not just hearing her incredible journey and the stories that have come from being in the fashion industry, but she talks about tips for creating your brand identity, which comes directly from the book. Highly recommend it. Um, as well as she gave tips for new businesses and brands on how to make their brand, their new business, innovative and fresh. She also goes over one of the biggest lessons she learned from a mentor of hers. And she talks about the incredible launch of her book and her book tour. I talk about this book so much that I'm actually going to do a giveaway of this book on social media. So again, follow me at, at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic on Instagram where I'll announce how to enter. And Eliza, when I mentioned that I was going to do a giveaway of her book, kindly said that she would sign the book for whoever gets it. So I'm so excited about that. Without further ado, welcome, Eliza Licht. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm so honored and grateful to have you here, Aliza, really, truly, because I read your book when it came out and was blown away and just looked to you at like really as such a mentor for so long. I, I'm part of your newsletter. I'm in your community. I'm part of your, you know, I listen to your podcast frequently. It's just, you're such a wealth of information. So thank you for being on podcast. Thank you, Michelle. That really means a lot to me. I, it truly does. And I'm so happy to be here. And so I always start the podcast off with the question, what was your first role in this industry? Do internships count? Internships for sure count. Well, I think it's important for your listeners to know that I was actually a neurobiology and physiology major, as you know from reading the book, in college, thinking that I would be a plastic surgeon. So cut to deciding that that was not going to be my path. I quickly pivoted in my junior year of college looking for an internship that would give me relevant fashion experience. And I ended up getting my start at Harper's Bazaar 
as an accessories yep. intern. And people might be listening, thinking, how, how did she get that when she literally had no experience? I actually really pointed out the lack of experience and explained mm. how I was on a path, but I've always loved fashion. And I was hoping that they would give me a chance to sort of correct my path and give me that experience. And it worked. Pulling on the heartstrings worked. I love it. And what did you do there? Because some of the stories I remember from that particular internship were really interesting. What, was, what were some of your responsibilities there? I lived in the closet, um, which by the way, if, you know, thinking about from a fashion perspective, like that's kind of where everyone lives organizing the accessories. So lining up shoes in color order, making sure the jewelry was on trays, um, checking in samples that we borrowed from the brands and, and organizing them for what we called run-throughs where, you know, the fashion stylist would come in and decide what they're going to actually take on a shoot. And um, it was pretty much organization, cleaning, and just being among beautiful things that I couldn't afford, but just love to look at. And then sometimes got to borrow because I had great mentor, uh, great internship supervisors um, who kind of let me in on the fun. So was that, I remember in the book, you got, you talked specifically about the different brands and like specifically Hermes and how they gave you bags to borrow. And what was there? Was that at, uh, at that this, was this internship at or my, later? That was later. That was actually actually in my first job, okay. which was at Mary Claire, where I was the assistant accessories editor. And yes, Excellent. we borrowed. I mean, all magazines borrow samples for photo shoots, right? But specifically Hermes, and I thought this was this really always stood out to me. They had a particular way that they would ask you, like they would send out items that that changed the way you looked at, at their samples in comparison to other people. So. What was something that Hermes did that stood out? Uh, threaten our lives. Um, no, what they did, <laughs> sort of. Um, so what they did was, more yeah, more or less. They, they basically, you know, treated, I mean, so the overarching mentality of samples is they're samples. They're not that important. They're, they go back and forth in shopping bags and maybe there's some tissue paper in there to protect them, but you know, they're kind of disposable in a way. And every brand who we were pulling from kind of, treated their samples a little bit like crap in a way. Um, you know, the worst offenders were the ones who just piled the handbags into a shopping bag with like no protection from each other. So like those, those people really made me feel like bad for the accessories. Like they have feelings yeah. and they were sort of like dead bodies in a way, <laughs> but Hermes made you sign um, a letter of responsibility that basically when you received the samples, which were packaged to perfection you needed to, um, basically they were saying, we have inspected these before we sent them to you. And you need to sign this paper, piece of paper acknowledging that you have received perfect samples and understand that if you return these samples in any other condition, Hermes treated their samples like gold. And basically this letter of responsibility said, we, we sent you these samples in perfect condition. By signing this letter, you're acknowledging that. And if you return these samples in any other condition, other than the way that they came to you, you are responsible for triple retail. That's crazy. So and for they me, provided white gloves, right? White gloves. Thank you for remembering that. Yes. White <laughs> gloves, which by the way is really important because like 
I only wear red nail polish. My nail polish mm. goes, goes on everything. Like I see my nail polish around my apartment in like cabinet poles where I've like stuck my fingers <laughs> and it's so easy to scratch leather. Yeah. So yeah, it was scary. It was absolutely scary. But it taught us, I mean, in reading it, what, I mean, what did it teach you in terms of like brands and the like identity of brands and like if someone is holding themselves up to be treated a certain way like I just felt like it was a a difference in how you know they were saying they were communicating with everybody this is how we want our our brand to be looked at and treated um and I thought that just really stood out to me I remember well you have a really good memory Michelle (laughs) Uh, yeah I mean essentially I mean it's leather right it's leather so when you think about how you know, they, they're, they're sort of showing you how highly they think about themselves yeah. and therefore in turn, you need to, and we all did. And we all do because at the end of the day, it's a leather bag, but yet it's our mess, you know? So exactly. I think, I think that, you know, goes back to thinking about when you're creating brand identity and value and equity in a brand and why is something, you know, $10,000 or $15,000 they, they sort of make you believe the hype. Yes. I feel like, and we're going to, I'm going to ask you questions specifically about personal brand, which I remember you definitely spoke a lot about within this area, this, this topic, but I remember this whole podcast interview, I feel like it's going to be a love letter to your book, just heads up, but it makes sense because your book really outlines your career, which is why going into this, I really knew I wanted to interview you for this because it's all about the journey. It's all about how you got to where you were. So we're at Marie Claire. Did you love what you were doing? How did you figure out what your next step would be? I think, you know, I I, I was really lucky at Mary Claire because my boss, Yamile Diaz, let me take on a lot. So all of a sudden, I felt like I was, though I was an assistant, I felt more like an editor. And I had a lot of say and a lot of, you know, point of view as to like what I thought and, and, and what we were going to pull in and what the stories would look like. So at a certain point, you start to feel like, should I, should I be promoted? You know, is, is this, is this the level I'm at? And while Yamale was super supportive of that, uh, my editor in chief at the time, Glenda was not supportive of that. And, you know, thinking back to magazine, heyday, this is the late nineties, you could be an assistant for like literally six years before anyone would ever even remotely think about promoting you. And people did it. People stayed in those roles for, for really long time. And, and, you know, it was considered paying your dues, but I was impatient and I felt like I was more senior than that. And I started to say to myself, you know what, I need to look for a new job. And when I started interviewing at different magazines, I remember I interviewed at Town & Country, I interviewed at Seventeen, um, I can't remember what else I interviewed. You know, it seemed like there really wasn't a place for me to go because the editors at those magazines had all been there like 10 years each. So it's kind of like, unless someone's getting like hit by a car, you're just not, you're not, there's not gonna be an opportunity mm. to slip in there. Right. So I had to kind of think outside of my realm. And, and by the way, like, when you talk about like your dream job, like I was literally in my dream job sphere and I couldn't stay in it because there was no opportunity. So I went to the sort of next layer of the onion, which is I speak to these PR people all day 
I kind of understand what they do. Mm. They're pitching me their stuff. I know who I think does a great job and I know who is a stalker and annoying and someone who's, when I see them calling, I, I don't want to answer. Right. And I thought to myself, you know what, maybe, maybe I should think about PR. And then a role opened up at DKNY and it was for accessories. And I thought, wow, like, isn't this the exact thing I'm doing, but just the opposite view. And then that's when I decided to make the jump into PR. And, and I was thankfully savvy enough at the time to know, hey, you have no PR experience. Therefore, I better get somebody of note to mention and drop my name to the hiring manager who could sort of explain why, even though I didn't have the experience, it would be okay. And I could add value. And that's what happened. I, I love this because one of the reasons why I started this podcast is that I started talking to people in the industry who were like, I don't know what the next role would be. Like, I don't know, you know, I, I, I know what I've been doing. I know what my expertise is, but if I wanted to do something else, I don't know what skills are applicable. I don't know what other roles exist. And I felt like in hearing your story that you created that almost in a way where you were like, okay, in some ways this, it seems seems very logical, maybe in retrospect, but I'm sure at the time you were like, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you kind of figure out based on what you've seen, what you're, what you're, what you're viewing. And in this, in this regard, you, you were seeing PR, you were seeing that relationship you had, and you're like, I could just do the other side. But it's interesting because I felt like as you entered the industry, the fashion industry in particular, you didn't have an idea of where it was going to end up. You just kind of were like, I'm going to, I'm going to take this and then I'll figure out the next step. Yes. And to your point, I was grateful to be allowed in the room. You know, I was someone who had plastic surgery experience from interning at plastic surgeon's office, like clearly not applicable to anything I was doing. So I, I was just grateful, you know, for the opportunity and, And I will say when I was, you know, back at Harper's Bazaar as an intern, I was a super overachiever. You know, I turned on the lights in that office and I turned them off at the end of the day. No one told me to. And I made an impression and, 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 and so much so that one of the fashion editors, Sasha Sasha Charnin Morrison, you know, recognized that and then came up to me one day and said, listen, my stepmother is the fashion director at New York Magazine. I'm sure you could use another title on your resume. Do you want to intern there? So then I said to myself, okay, well, you know, I don't want to seem ungrateful to Bazaar and say, cause I'm supposed to be there five days. So I, I basically broached it with my, with my supervisor and said, listen, you know, Sasha approached me and I would love to be able to get New York magazine experience too. Is it okay if I cut down to four days and add, you know, one day a week at New York magazine and, they were all so supportive and I still speak to these people today and it's a gazillion years later. And and Sasha, Sasha in particular was on my podcast also. So we, you know, we, we think back to, you know, these days of, you know, just like, you know, growing up with people and, and, and keeping those relationships alive. And, And certainly Sasha and I worked together for many years after that, when I was on the PR side. I love that. And just trying to figure, like looking back on those days where you had to figure it out, figure it all out. But I, I, I love that. Yeah. I forgot that you had that to those, both those internships at the same time, which added to your resume. Do you have any recommendations for people who like you at that time had different, completely different jobs on their resume, but tried to, you know, figure out how to 
uh, pull out applicable skills for whatever it is that they were looking now towards? I think you have to do the Venn diagram. You have to do the Venn diagram or you have to be able to storytell it and, and really make a compelling argument why they should choose you over someone with direct experience. And it's possible, it's possible, but you need to hand the narrative over on a silver platter. So when someone sees your resume and it's completely unrelated, they're not sitting there like, why do I have that? Like, why did this person apply for this job? It's like, you need to give them the narrative to explain why you applied for the job, how you can add value and connect the dots for them. How much do you do that on a cover letter, for instance, just to get the possible interview? And then how much do you save it for the actual interview itself? I think it needs to be upfront because the minute they see your resume, they're going to be like, hmm, not seeing it. And then maybe the cover letter can explain Mm -hmm. why there are certain things, you know, missing or why you're super passionate about this company or this role or even this person. Maybe you, you have followed this person's career and you, and you're reaching out because you're, you're legitimately a fan. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that's happened to you now where people are reaching out to you now being like, I'm legitimately a fan. I just want to learn from you. Yeah, no, Um, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely. Hello, everyone. This is Deborah Coleman from the Have a Seat Conversations with Women in the Workplace podcast. I started this podcast as I was experiencing doubts about my own career path, and I found that the chats I was having with other women about their career journeys was slowly motivating me to find mine. So I started this show as a way to continue having those conversations. Every week, I invite guests into my virtual living room where they share their career journeys, how they got to where they are, um, some of the lessons they've learned with some industry expertise, and funny and heartwarming stories sprinkled in. My guests range from stay-at-home moms, lawyers, career and life coaches, real estate agents, teachers, students, entrepreneurs, CEOs, authors, and so many more. I invite you to follow Have a Seat Conversations with Women in the Workplace wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to like, follow, and share Mentors on the Mic with Michelle Simone Miller. So right now, so we're in, and we're sort of discussing this. We're at DKNY. This is huge. This was like a huge chunk of your wonderful, illustrious career. So tell us a little bit about that transition into DKNY, your transition into PR. It was exactly what I thought it would be, which is the exact opposite, but the same. So I ended yeah. up in the closet again. <laughs> Just yeah. this time it was the DKNY closet. Are there windows in these closets? There are not windows in these closets. (laughs) And I will say the Mary Claire one was way better than the DKNY one. You know, accessories back then, this is 1998. God, so old. Accessories, now it's like we've seen the it bag. We understand the power of accessories. You have to remember that this was a time when accessories were a little bit the stepchildren. Like if you were an accessories editor, it was like you weren't as important as a fashion editor. So if you were working with clothing, that was considered more prestigious. If you were working with accessories, it was kind of like, okay, she does that thing with accessories. So Mm. I came into Donna Karen and obviously they're a ready to wear company and accessories was like, again, like a little bit of a stepchild. So inheriting this role that no one really 
cared so much about um, gave me the opportunity to innovate in my space and really push boundaries because nobody really cared. So we did have a really good shoe business at the time for DKNY and, and, and handbag business. But again, no one really cared. So I was able to really create a role for myself um, and even tools to it. So for example, like at magazines, you would send them lookbooks. The, the PR people would send lookbooks. So the editors would know what's in the collection. So we didn't have that at DKNY. I was like, you guys don't have a lookbook. So I created it. You know, they were giving shoe wardrobes to the magazines and as someone who was at the magazine, I knew they, they sort of would just sit on the shelves and collect dust because they always looked old, like they were never new. And of course you want what's coming in and the, you know, you're coming in each time for a photo shoot. What's on the shelves already is, is not exciting. So the first mm-hmm. thing I did was like, say like, we're not going to give all these magazines, these shoe closets, we're going to make them covet the accessories and have to ask for them. So you know, there was a lot that I was able to do really quickly um, to, to sort of prove my worth. And then, you know, it sort of grew from there and took on, then I took on Donna Karen accessories and then I took on ready to wear. And then, you know, I sort of grew, grew, grew within, within those market categories. I love that because it, it's such an example of taking a job and then finding ways to innovate. And you really did. I mean, obviously people, I recommend people to read the book to, to come up with all the ways you innovated, but one in particular is with the advent of social media. And it wasn't a huge thing at the time for brands, specifically fashion brands to take on social media. And I felt like it's very clear that you were one of the first in the social media revolution, specifically with Twitter. So could you talk to us a little bit about that and how you were innovative there? Yeah. So you have to fast forward, right? So I start obviously, you know, as this little PR coordinator yeah, and then grew up, grew up, grew up, got promoted, got promoted till eventually I'm senior vice president of global communications And it's 2009 and we're sitting around in a marketing and communications meeting talking about how is DKNY and Donna Karen going to embark on social beyond our Facebook page. And, you know, we decided that we, we wanted to think about Twitter. It was new. We wanted to think about Twitter. It was new for fashion. Fashion brands were not on Twitter. And I was, you know, an executive in PR. And all I can think was, wait, if at Donna Karen is the social media handle, people are going to think Donna Karen's tweeting. Okay. What does that, what does that look like? Not good because then who's writing that copy. And then what if someone says the wrong thing? You know, it was, it was a whole host wow. of PR issues. So I, you know, I threw out, I was like, okay, why can't, why, why does anyone need to know who it is? Why can't we take a cue from gossip girl, which was in its second season at the time and say, call it DKNY PR girl and give it a behind the scenes look into the world of Donna Karen anonymously. And everyone was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that could work. And I was like, you know, we could, we could do a fashion illustration. It could just be like a paper doll. Like, you know, we could change our outfits. This is great. Can you talk about the avatar that essentially you created back then? Yes. I loved this. I loved thinking about this. And you know, it's funny because 
everyone loved it. And there's so much nostalgia to this particular time in social media when Twitter was like a really fun place. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I decided that it was going to be just a fashion illustration of a girl who's obviously has an amazing wardrobe. And I hired an artist named Dallas Shaw to, um, sort of ideate her. Actually, Dallas wasn't the first one though. Okay. The first one was done by one of our ready wear, one of our ready to wear designers in DKNY. <clears throat> and I remember he, <laughs> he like, didn't want to do it. And we were like, we'll get you, we'll, we'll get you a present. Like, if you do this for us, we'll, we'll like get you something. And I remember we like got him like one of those like popcorn gift baskets with like the multi flavors, like as if that's going to bribe anyone to do anything, but he, he created the sketch. And for some reason he used my, my image as the inspiration for the sketch. Mm. Didn't ask him to. And I get this sketch back and I'm like, that sort of looks like me, but just like way skinnier and way taller. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I figured I would just like, you know, I needed something. I needed some image. And I was like, all right, you know, it's, it's fine. No one's going to know it's me anyway. So who cares? Right. And of course it didn't, it's a, it's a caricature. So it's not, exactly. it's only free. It's for internal use only. Yeah. Well, it, oh, was, no. it was for the avatar. So it was definitely external use, Got but it, it was not a direct, like no one would be like, Oh, that's Elisa. Like it's, it, it right. just, for me, when obviously knowing what I look like, I was like, kind of looks like me. Um, <laughs> but so, so then, you know, how old our, was she? Did you guys give her like what age again? No age, not even like a, a range. No, she was DKYPR girl. So what I, what age is someone who calls themselves a girl open for discussion? And our legal team decided that because this was like, you know, no one had done this in our company. We didn't know what it was like on Twitter. They only wanted me to handle tweeting. And that is what set off this complete autonomy over what we were actually saying. So I have this, you know, Twitter app on my phone. I've never tweeted. I make the account with my agency um, who told me that they would handle the posting and I could write up the, the tweet and then they would post it. And that lasted for, I think, one afternoon. It's too hard. Yeah. That sounds incredibly difficult to have to check in every time. But also like... <laughs> Once I dive into something and I'm like, I've, I've, I've got this, like you guys yeah. don't need to. So they, they quickly knew that it was like game over for that. And then legal was like, well, we need to approve everything. And I, and I was like, you guys barely respond to me when I'm sending you like a contract for like a week and a half. Like, no, it's like not possible. I'm like, do you want me to like, what if something happens at night? Do you want me to call you on your cell phone? So I made it pretty clear that like, you guys have to trust me or this is not happening. Yeah. And it started to just get traction. And I quickly learned what were people reacting to? They were reacting to this fly on the wall view of what it's like to do PR for an iconic American brand, work with editors, produce fashion shows, dress celebrities. And I never named names. It was always editor X, stylist X, celebrity X. Yep. And that was enough for everyone to devour the insider kind of behind the scenes of what went on. And it sort of just snowballed and snowballed. And remember, 
and I think I said this before, it was anonymous. So I was doing this like without telling anyone. There were a few people in the company who knew, of course. But at the end of the day, it was anonymous for two years, which is insane. Yeah. And there's one particular story that I remember that had, that was just really stood out, which was that, you know, obviously you're as DK and YPR girl, you're talking about all these like incredibly glamorous stuff and sometimes not so maybe it's just like, oh, we're talking to the editors, but it's always very entertaining, very interesting. But there was one time that you had said, I think you had thought that there was like celebrity X, if you will, um, was going to wear a dress on the, on the red carpet. And then they didn't. And you had no one. I think it was like the Oscars. I can't remember mm-hmm. what award show. Oh, it was the Oscars. It was the Oscars. Mm-hmm. So what did you do that you ended up pivoting this like incredibly disappointing, potentially embarrassing moment for the brand and creating something else from that? I, I remember every single red carpet moment that I've ever worked on. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. So yeah, so we were supposed to dress Sandra Bullock for the Oscars. And in fashion, when you work with celebrities and you work with stylists, the word confirmed is like a very strong, oh, strong word. When you say something's confirmed, it's like confirmed, like it's done. And people really reserve that word for like the final, like this is done. And, um, you know, as DK, my PR girl, I was, I was live tweeting everything. So I was live tweeting gossip girl. I was live tweeting revenge when it came out. I was live tweeting scandal. I was live tweeting the red carpet. So I would host these like award show parties and just kind of do red carpet commentary. Like I'm like Ryan Seacrest or Juliana in my own way. Um, on the couch on the couch, slightly snarky, but like always with fun and, and never harming anyone. And so it was, it was my Oscars party, my DKY PR girl Oscars party. I would do an invitation. I would let everyone know what time I was starting. And, you know, I was really excited because I said, you know, Hey guys, I, you know, I'm, I'm so excited. We're dressing someone tonight at the Oscars. Can't wait to tell you who Celeb X is. Can't wait to show you what she's wearing. And because everyone followed so closely, you know, as you know, when like the red carpet starts at what, 3 PM West coast, 6 PM yeah. here. So like, you know, as it gets closer to 8 PM, New York time, you know, you're losing the opportunity to get carpet time because then it goes to the actual award show. So it's getting real close to eight o'clock. And I'm like, where is Sandra? Now, of course I didn't say Sandra. Yeah. But it's so many years later, I can finally say, oh, I love knowing who it is. Breaking the news here on your podcast. (laughs) Um, So, so finally I I say, you know, everyone keeps on tweeting at TKNY, where are, what, you know, where is she, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, she's coming, she's coming. And then she arrives and I'm like, that is not my dress. But then I, I had to tell them because I had already, you know, I had taken them along the ride for like, they knew when the fittings were, they knew how many rounds we went through and came out on top. And I, I, I just, I didn't know what to do. And I thought to myself, well, now I have no one at the Oscars, which by the way, for my role was always the worst because then you wake up the next morning, you go to work on a Monday and everyone's like, who do we dress? And you're like, Hmm, 
no one we were supposed to, but no, we didn't trust anyone. So I, I, I said, you know, unfortunately, Celeb X didn't end up wearing the dress. Like I'm, I'm really bummed, but this is what she was going to wear. And then I tweeted a picture of the dress she was supposed to wear. And that went viral. And it got so many views on Twitter. And it was amazing because from a PR standpoint, here I am having failed at the Oscars, but getting press on a dress that is not at the Oscars, but is getting the same type of coverage as if it was at the Oscars. So it was more, we don't know. We don't know. So um, it was really, you know, making lemonade out of lemons, really. I love that story because it shows something that I find really always sticks out to me in any interview I do, but there's something about what we think of as perceived failures that end up sometimes being the most quote unquote successful or the most quote unquote surprising. You know, there's just something about what we look at and go, this is by all intents and purposes, like a, a failure. Um, and I just look at this as an example of that, if you will, and, and what you could do with it and how it could be something even greater. Absolutely. And then the next day I sort of did this post event recap on like how much coverage the dress that didn't go got. Right. Making more, more lemonade out of those lemons. Absolutely. So, um, any advice that you would give a new brand or new business to be just as innovative and fresh? I mean, I feel like this is something we've talked about a lot and this is something that you've been responsible for, but just so to touch on it while we're in this realm, um, any, any advice you would give to like a business to, to stay innovative and fresh right now? I, I think telling a great story is always going to be the number one way to attract fans and community. And the other thing is really like engaging with the community. There are so many brands that don't. There are so many brands that just push content and that's it. And social media is called social media. It's social. It's a two-way street. You can't expect to build community if you're just pushing out content and not engaging with your fans. Um, okay. So yeah, so we're at DKNY and you did a couple other things simultaneously. I feel like you were also at launch metrics. You were a board member and strategic advisor. Um, and then the next gig was Alice and Olivia, correct? So actually when I was at DKNY, I wasn't allowed to do anything else. So I left. So first and foremost, I got offered a book deal in 2013, which was in, you know, based on my presence online, my blog, I had a very popular blog where I did long form writing and I decided to make it a career mentorship. And fun fact, I said no to the book deal first because I was absolutely petrified to do it thinking that, Oh my God, who is, who is going to read this? And how do I write a book? I have a full-time job and two small kids. And when would I actually do that? So um, it was when, you know, I, 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 I'm a very big believer in like identifying the, the fear, naming it, and then like sending it away. Mm. So once I realized that was the reason I, I said, well, now, now Lisa, you have to do it. Yeah. So uh, that's when Leave Your Mark was born. And uh, I decided, you know, I was dishing out so much PR 101 advice and so much Life 101 advice on Twitter and getting so many DMs from people for like, oh my God, how do I break into fashion? Or like, I love you. I want your job. Like what, you know, what do I have to do to get there? And I decided, you know, 
and, and unfortunately people were constantly like, you know, can I take you to coffee? And it's like, you, you can't, and you certainly can't take, you can't go to coffee with like the time it was over 530,000 people on Twitter and over a million on the blog. And like the amount of DMS was crazy every day. And I decided to just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to put everything I've learned in my career into a book. So I think of it as like the devil wears Prada with advice. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. The book is so good because not only is it more, just more stories of what we're talking about now today, but in addition to that, it's just all this practical advice that like anyone would want to know. I mean, you could tell you really were getting these type of questions over and over again, because, you know, anything we'd want to know, I feel like it's covered very well. For sure. For sure. So well, then I, when I, the book got published in 2015 in May, I left the company at the end of that year. And, um, that was when I, I joined lunch metrics, um, got as it. a board member, because I had worked with the founder, Eddie Mullen on fashion GPS, which is what sort of runs fashion week, um, digitally. And, um, so I did that for a little while. Then I consulted for a little while that wasn't terribly successful, And then I decided, you know what, maybe I'm just one of those people that needs to work at a company and that's okay. It's a great thing. Yeah. So then I I joined Allison Olivia as the EVP of global marketing and communications in 2016, stayed there for two and a half years and then decided I needed to sort of take back my own creativity and launch Leave Your Mark podcast in 2019. So I'm curious all this, I mean, cause we're going to talk about that in a second, but for Alice and Olivia, mm-hmm. how did you get that job? Was this through connections? Was this, you know, did you hire a headhunter? Did someone recruit you? How did that come about? Cause now that you've had all this. So I was recruited by them twice. I was recruited by, um, the president had reached out to me to take me to lunch. Um, Sorry. The recruiter had reached out when I was still at DKNY, mm. just leaving, and I politely declined because I was not going from 17 years at one company into another company. Like yeah. I did not want a job. And then um, at the 10 month mark of me being out of Donna Karen, I was already starting to think like, okay, maybe I do need a job. And then coincidentally, they reached out again and they just said, you know, we know we've spoken to you in the past and you know, you weren't, you didn't want a job then, but now we've created this role and, you know, we think you're the perfect person for it. And would you be willing to have lunch with our president? So I did. And yeah, I joined that that. brand, um, which was great because I was able to head up marketing and communications as well as creative services, which were all things that I had dabbled in at Donna Karen, but weren't technically part of my job. Like I worked with the marketing team, but I was on the PR team. Mm. So, and creatively, I was always like this weird last approver for a lot of the stuff that we did because I was like an insane person for like, Hey, there's an extra space in this sentence or whatever. (laughs) So like, they would always send me like, here's our mail, here's our catalog. Can you just look this over? So I felt very much a part of the creative team in that sense. And also ideating like who was going to be the face and all those things. So it felt like, you know, I mean, obviously someone has to trust you when you say you've done it, even though it wasn't part of your job or your title. Yeah. So they did, um, which I appreciate. And, um, and then it was, it was time to go. Well, can you specify quickly? I mean, I know you did a little bit, but can you specify more what the responsibilities were for this role? So like what are creative services? What, what do they do? 
Sure. So it, it was global marketing communications. Um, so that side of it is everything we're doing from brand partnerships perspective and events perspective, retail marketing perspective, um, social media fell under more the PR side, um, working with e-com on, you know, what their email campaigns were, digital mark, working with digital marketing to create content for their campaigns and then creative services, really managing the budget for all of the photo shoots and, you know, who's doing what and how the actual creative is, is being made. Did you find, did you find it to be particularly creative or did you find it like it was very much just like approving a lot of other stuff and the creation, the creativity part of it was in going, okay, not that, but like a little more of this, or were you finding yourself going, okay, this is the event we need to do. Let's figure out how to do it. That kind of thing. Um, from an events perspective, it was super creative. And nice. um, from a PR perspective, it was. From a creative services perspective, um, Stacey Bendett, the founder of Allison Olivia, really led the creativity on that side. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was more like looking at the images and the email, you know, the email subject lines and the pre-headers and the call to action and really thinking through like, is this the best, most compelling way to present these clothes? Yeah. Oh, it sounds so fun. Excellent. It is fun. Cool. It's actually really fun. Wonderful. And then just a couple more questions. So what's a valuable piece of advice that you've received from a mentor of yours? Mm, well, Patty Cohen is my mentor. I worked yes. for her for 17 years and she is the best, 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 best. We have drinks next week, actually. Come oh. to think of it. Um, you know, she is the epitome of a leader and I have modeled my entire career after her leadership because there was never, ever, ever, ever a time in 17 years where I can think of a scenario in which she ever passed down her stress. Mm. She ever said, she ever snapped, she ever yelled at someone like always protecting us, always supporting us, always leveraging us and making sure people knew, oh, Aliza did that. Oh, that was Aliza's idea. Oh, that was Jackie's idea. So um, that is sort of the legacy that she has left on me. Um, and that in turn is how I treat my team members throughout, you know, my career. So really, you know, leading by example and, and understanding that, you know, your, your team, um, you know, is your most valuable asset. And oftentimes you hear of just like, sometimes managers are like, you know, threatened by really sort of yeah. dynamic team members who maybe are more outspoken or always have a great idea. And it's like, that's, that's their job. They're making you look good. And that's really the, the role. Yeah. Um, you're supposed to make your boss look right. And in turn, right. she or he will support you. And, um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think that that, that advice of just like being a really gracious leader, yeah. um, and appreciating your team and showing them, you know, how important they are, I think is, I think is, is the most important thing she taught me. I love it. That's great. In terms of leave your mark and the tremendous just success and, and legacy it left, do you have any well, first of all, how was that experience where all of a sudden this book is becoming, you know, just as big as it 
as it was. And all these people were recommending it. Like I remember like Shonda Rhimes had a quote about it and Laverne Cox tweeted, but like everyone was talking about it. How was that experience like for you? And then in turn, um, how do you capitalize on something like that? Like if someone who's listening has tremendous success with something, whether it's a piece of PR or whether it's something that they created, how do you, you use that? How do you capitalize on that and, and really, you know, take advantage of that moment? Well, I was very, very lucky to have the support of a lot of really wonderful people. I would say that one of the things that I did incredibly well was map my book launch strategy. Mm. Having never launched a book before, I can say that because I really looked at it from the perspective of like tailored pitching, right? So really going through my contacts and thinking about who do I have at my fingertips? Who have I supported in the past? Who can I ask for support? If I ask them for support, where do I want that support? Mm. Where are they active? Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Is it Facebook? And at the time, there was a platform called Thunderclap, which does not exist anymore. Yeah. But it was a way to send a link to someone and say, hey, I'm launching this thing. I would love your social support. Can you like sign up for whatever platform you will like to participate in, write your tweet or write your post, and then it will be banked until the day that I declare it launches. Wow. That is so great. I know. It was amazing. It doesn't exist anymore because this is probably the kind of tool that creates fake news because you can make a hashtag go viral Um, so that That was, that was probably the early days, early days of of that. And so I, I actually ended up, um, being a case study for Thunderclap because it was the biggest book launch they ever had. It was 8 million impressions of everyone's support. So my book, I wish that existed still. What a great thing. My book launched May 5th, 2015. So at 9am. On May 5th, 20, I'm sorry, May 5th, 2015, the paperback was 2018. At 9 a.m. on May 5th, 2015, thousands of people were tweeting the book cover wow. and their tweets. And it was every, oh it my was, God. and it was like flooding timelines. And then what's incredible, I mean, that was obviously an amazing launch, but what's incredible is people are still posting it and we're in 2021 now, like people are still posting it. So I, and and that's honestly why I started the community on Mighty Networks because somebody named Eliana Meyer who had read the book and listens to the podcast had DM me literally cold last year and was like, I read your book. I listened to the podcasts. Like I want more of that and there's nowhere to get it. And she's much younger. She's 23. She said, like, people in college right now, they, they probably don't know who DKY PR Girl is, and they probably haven't heard of Leave Your Mark. So bridging that gap. So we, we partnered together to create the community to be able to take all of this curriculum, this Leave Your Mark curriculum, and sort of create this, like, boot camp, like this one-month experience where people join together 
in this cohort and we sort of go through all of the lessons together and I have guest speakers and I do one-on-ones and it's this very intensive kind of internship, mentorship, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that, but that is, is sort of where it is now. So now it's like, yes, the book is there. The podcast obviously is every Sunday. And then there's this community where we just ended the second weekend, right? Yeah, the or, second the second boot camp um, ended yesterday. Yeah, mm-hmm. yesterday. Yeah, because I saw that and I remember going, oh, that that's yesterday. God, that's the eighteenth. Um, how was that? And uh, how can people hear about the next one in case someone's listening and goes, hey, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, Eliana and I are gonna finalize that on Sunday. But it's leaveyourmarkcommunity.com Yeah, is the website, and um, you can request to join there. It's a vetted community, which makes it extremely special. Um, it's a professional community. So your LinkedIn profile is, is really, is really the resume. It's mandatory. Like I remember seeing that that was a requirement. You need to have a LinkedIn profile. You need to have a couple other things, but that yes. was a requirement. Yes. I love it. And so people can look to that for the next one. And obviously your podcast, if you could just tell us a little bit more about that before we're done. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I say, like I keep on saying, it's like, how do you build your personal brand and succeed in your career? It's like, we don't do it alone. And how do you build your personal brand and succeed in your career is the answer that I'm constantly searching for and trying to deliver to people. So leave your mark in podcast form is an interview show every Sunday with people who have been incredibly successful in their careers, not just people in fashion, and really understanding what their journeys have been and also being able to walk away with really tactical next steps of advice, inspiration, motivation. I want people to leave feeling like they know what they can actually adopt from listening to that and leave better than when they came. And, um, you know, I started it in 2019 and it's, it's sort of grown and, and become, you know, a favorite of, of many people, I think. Mine included. Oh, thanks, Michelle. Um, it's, you know, and, and fun fact, which I didn't even know, or the intention was not this. It's an incredible networking tool for me to catch up with people in my network because it's a great, because by the way, everyone says yes to coming on your show. Right. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you, you, Oh, you want that meeting with that CEO? They probably won't answer. But if you ask them to go on the podcast, they'll respond. It's, it's a crazy thing. Cause you're like, theoretically, I won't be able to get 15 minutes with someone because like you said, they're getting so many requests, but an hour on a podcast, <laughs> it's very interesting, but it's a way just more likely to get a yes. A hundred percent. So it's just, it's just funny. So, you know, that's, that's the story. I'll say this. Your podcast is phenomenal. I listen Thank to you. it all the time. I was listening to the most recent one. I was working. I was still listening to it today. Actually, I'm getting through it, but so good. And um, in general, I feel like when I created my podcast, I thought of it as sort of this like combination of leave your mark and like awards chatter, which is the Hollywood reporter podcast. And that it's very specific, you know, kind of to the entertainment industry as a whole, but I look at it as a measure of someone's career in its entirety, as well as advice that they have along the way, which is definitely comes from yours as well. But I just want to thank you so much for doing this. The last question I always ask people is what is your current definition of success? Mm, I love that question. 
Well, first of all, thank you for all your kind words and for having me on. Um, that question is such a good one and so hard. Um, yeah. Take a second. Hmm. I, I guess, you know, aside from personal of just like my family and my kids, my husband, et cetera, and, and making sure that they're, you know, happy and healthy, it would really be the feedback that I get from people who have taken the advice and used it. And then I, I think this is really important for people to know, like when someone gives you advice, closing the loop, whether it's a month later, two years later, and going back to that person and saying, you probably don't even remember this, but like you told me to do X, Y, and Z, and I did it. And here's what happened. And I can't thank you enough. Hearing those stories is really, that's what makes it worth it. I mean, at the end of the day, I want to empower people with information and make them feel, you know, kind of empowered to take on that next step. And I think there's so much imposter syndrome and there's so many scenarios where you can completely psych yourself out from doing anything. I mean, even the podcast, I was like, I'm going to like, I'm going to do a podcast. I have a best-selling book. Like, of course, someone's going to want to produce it for me. Guess what? No one wanted to. I went to now they do. I'm sure now they would. Well, you know, and so what did I do? I just Googled how to do a podcast and and figured it out as you did too, I'm sure. So, you know, it's like, you can't let the nose stop you. Absolutely. And I will say this, I've learned so much from your book, which I think a lot of people can relate to in the sense that, you know, you talk about if someone gives you advice, your book has given so many people advice and they might not have the ability to come back to you and close that loop because they didn't maybe have a direct conversation with you, or they might not have a way to reach you. But as someone who has read your book and has taken the notes, I remember I did the the particular exercise you've done so many, you you give so many exercises in the book, but there was one that was like a four step process. Right. And it was like creating your own bio. Can you go over that really? I mean, do we have time? Yeah. Like a couple seconds. Can you just talk about the four steps? It was like, write your bio. And then, um, you you do it a word cloud. I'll mm-hmm. let you do it. Cause it's probably going to sound. No, it's fine. Well, it's, but... yeah. I mean, it's, it's writing your bio. It's like, what's your elevator pitch being it, you know, you show up at a cocktail party. How are you introducing yourself? What do you want people to remember about you to take away your word, word cloud of, of, of words to describe your personal brand. I mean, there, there's yeah. a lot in there, but those, those are the highlights. Yeah. Basically. And then, but then to continue that bio so that you could like in italics, I remember, cause I did it and it was, it was what else you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. known for and talked about, do you like that image of yourself? Do you like that bio that you created? Okay. Well, how would you create and, and working backwards almost. And I highly recommend anyone to take the book, read it. I'll probably, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a giveaway of your book. I'm going to, I'm going to buy oh, it then for I, someone. Then I'll sign it. Oh, amazing. Well, we'll do that. I'll, I'll coordinate that with you, but I just feel like people should do this exercise. Um, and they should do all the exercises and just learn from you and join and listen to your podcast. And thank that you. being said, thank you again. For, oh my God. For it's such this. a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you also for being so incredibly knowledgeable about all the things in the book. I'm really honored. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, drop a five-star review Follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and find me on Instagram. I'm at, at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. Share this in your stories. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend, and I'll see you next time.